Welcome back to another episode of Hot Pocket. We are coming in hot with episode 36. This is Sherry R. This is Saad. And today's episode is going to be very pertinent to what's happening around the world. In the Ukraine. Well, Ukraine. Did you know people, like, we know why people get upset with calling it the Ukraine? No. Because that makes it sound like it's the Ukraine region of Russia. This is, this is Russians getting mad, isn't it? No, it's, it would be like Ukrainians getting mad. Because, like, oh. oh, why are you calling us, like, Russians the or Ukraine. something? I don't know, whatever. Aren't they, like, most of their population Russian? There's a lot of layers. Ah, we'll get okay. into that. We'll get into that. Listen, listen. We've done several deep dive political episodes. We haven't really touched politics in any real form in a while. Yeah, it's this been a, a minute. It's, it's been a very long time, so we're back in form. Here's the thing. Um, I know way more about Middle Eastern countries, Latin American countries, Haiti, the Caribbean. Europe is not my focus yeah and no podcast format from us is ever going to be the authoritative thing right yeah it's you, not going to be an exhaustive research into not at you all. know the, the the specific topics that we get into so i want to set some expectations for this episode yes. like we said we're not authoritative by any means no. even compared to our previous work we're yes. not this is going to be worse uh it's <laughs> it's frankly and i'm going to do my own horn for a second i know way more and have a much more strategic and rigorous analysis of this area and more facts than 99 of you motherfuckers probably i also have no problem admitting that i am way out of my depth in this so I'm establishing that caveat. Yeah. Okay. Now take that with Saad and then multiply it by two with me. <laughs> but I am definitely out of my depth with this Ukrainian and Russian relationship politics. And you know, I'll, those goddamn infographics, yes. right? Anytime something happens in the world, what's happening? It's always what's happening, mm-hmm. not how did we get here. And yeah, and, 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 and that aspect. And then they think that they can summarize this long, decade long, decades long issue that has so much to do with multiple so actors multiple, multiple parties facets, involved and they think a few slides are gonna be yeah. like gonna cover it for them suddenly in 2022 this guy named Putin just decided to be crazy and that's yeah. why this is happening it's a bit more complicated than yeah. that and we hope to elucidate that yeah. for you this episode frankly for most of you people who listen to american media watch american media is going to sound pro-russian yeah we're not pro-russian we're just explaining what the fuck is happening and giving the history behind that yeah to an extent to an extent again like we said not exhaustive so we're going to split this into three sections yep first we're going to give a basic timeline from the dissolution of the soviet union to about 2010 and from the ukrainian perspective right And then we're going to kind of do a rewind because in 2014, there's a really important event that happened that is so crucial to what's happening now. Mm -hmm. And that event cannot be explained without giving some background about um, NATO. Yeah. And NATO is something that nobody's really fucking talking about. Yeah, that'll be be another main focus that we, uh, you know, dive into in this episode. And so we'll give that context. Then we can finally establish 2014, the May 9 revolution. Mm-hmm. And I really cannot stress how important it is. Like at the very least, if you're going to post shit and repost shit, know what the Midan revolution is and not just a Wikipedia article. Yeah. Or l- fucking learn what that is. And then after that, we'll kind of explore what Americans can do about this mm-hmm. because we're Americans, us two. And pretty much all our, not all of our audience, we have some non-American members of our audience. Yeah. Um, but for the most part, like, what can Americans do? What can the West do about this? Yeah. So without further ado, let's Ooh, get right into the timeline. Let's dive in. Okay. So this timeline does not go back to the depths and origins of Ukraine or Russia. This We're going to take it to the 1990s, right? The independence from the Soviet Union. So 1989 and 1990, anti-communist protests swept the Central uh, and Eastern Europe countries, starting in Poland and spreading throughout the Soviet bloc, right? And this is where Ukraine comes in. In 1990, you see a large sweep of anti-Soviet protests, you know, over 400,000 people joining in hands. So July 16, 1990, the Rada was the new Ukrainian parliament formed out of the previous Soviet legislature, right? They vote to declare independence from the Soviet Union. Authorities recall Ukrainian soldiers from other parts of the USSR and vote to shut down the Chernobyl nuclear power plant in northern Ukraine. And... 
nuclear power is a very important caveat here. So we'll, and yes, it is that Chernobyl from the show. Yes, from the was HBO. I don't think. Yeah, I don't, I don't watch HBO, but yeah, I oh, think it is yeah. that. Yeah, I mean, I'm just giving a shorthand so people know what yeah. we're talking about. 1991, it actually becomes official. So there was a failed coup in Moscow. The Ukrainian parliament declared independence for the second time on August 24th, and this date is what you know the Ukrainians celebrate as their Independence Day. Uh, and in December, Ukraine actually voted for their independence, and it was like a 92 percent vote in favor and they officially dissolved well actually the soviet unit officially dissolved in december of 91 yeah so i just add a little bit of context and flavor during the process in which ukraine and other uh, republics of the soviet union are trying to become independent the soviet union was already on the path of dissolution from 1998 to 1991 that's about the time frame from when the soviet union was like coming apart and so i do want to add a little bit of context here in that I don't want to act like, oh, everything that happens across the world that's is is done by Americans, right? But America was definitely inspired natural elements that were because there were actual anti-communist elements in the Soviet republics. But America definitely like pushed them forward a bit more. Yeah. And they were also, of course, like the reason why the Soviet Union fell apart. I just want to throw that in there. Yep. And talking about America's pushing in Amer- another American arm, let's talk about NATO. And let's do this real quick because I feel like people don't know what NATO is. Okay, yeah. Let's, okay. Okay, let's just get into a little <laughs> caveat for Just NATO. real quick here. Yep. NATO stands for North Atlantic Treaty Organization, which, by the way, half the fucking countries in NATO are not even close to the Atlantic Ocean. No. It, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. Um, it was made in 1949, and it's pretty clearly explicit a vestige of the cold war yeah and i don't know if i have to explain this to people the cold war is essentially like just a series of conflicts between the u.s and the soviet union and also between their proxies right nato was primarily made as a way for america to get other countries on its side to fight the soviet union so nato is still alive kicking today very Um, much so it's Good question about like what the fuck it actually does. It doesn't really do anything other than kind of being used against Russia. So in 92, NATO was contemplating adding Central and Eastern European members for the first time into the organization. Ukraine formally established relations with the alliance, though it didn't actually join, right? NATO Secretary General visits Kiev. The Ukrainian president visits NATO headquarters in Brussels. So in 94, a couple years after the USSR had dissolved and Ukraine had gained its independence... Um, it was actually left with the world's third largest nuclear stockpile. Again, nuclear is the operative word here because, yeah, you know, it perks up the United States ears real quick. So it's important to note real quick about the Budapest Memorandum. That was when Ukraine agreed to trade away all of its intercontinental ballistic missiles, warheads, all the nuclear infrastructure in exchange for guarantees from the three other treaty organizations, which was U.S., U.K., and Russia, that they would respect their independence and sovereignty and all the existing borders of Ukraine, which is the main issue here. So moving on from the 10 years that led after 94 to 2004, uh, President Leonid Kuchma helps transition Ukraine from a Soviet republic to a capitalistic society. He was privatizing businesses, working to improve international economic opportunities. And this is, well way more west leaning when you when you say capitalistic society you're talking about the west so he was much more west leaning in this he wanted he wanted to be on the path to be a nato organization nato alliance and just open up his doors to the west and kind of move pivot away from russia and i want to add this because obviously this is a a process right you don't just do this overnight this this took place over years and years and years yes this was pretty much true of every former soviet republic including Russia itself. Yeah. After the USSR fell apart in 1991, from then on, Russia completely restructured its economy. Not none of these countries usually do this out of like choice. They do it because there are some loans or relief attached from the IMF, the World Bank, and the US. Mm-hmm. And Russia had to completely privatize all of its shit, sold off most of its assets to oligarchs, you know, mm-hmm. Russian oligarchs, which, yeah. by the way, Oligarch is a word that gets thrown around, which basically just means Russian billionaire. Yeah. It is a, like, and, and, you know, they're bad people, yeah. right? The, in terms of what they can do in society. They're, they are like the true capitalists. You know what I mean? Well, like, so is 
Jeff Bezos. No, so that, that's what I was gonna say. I was gonna. I was gonna. They say, are like, what? definitionally, actually, definitely, they definitionally they are more oligarchical in terms of how much like monopoly they have over labor chains and supply chains across the world. It's a very ethnically charged term to be like, oh, yeah. this is a bad billionaire, but not a not a good yeah. bear, billionaire yeah. like Elon Musk. Yeah. Like, all right, whatever. Towards the end of his uh, presidency, Leonard Kuchma was actually rocked by a scandal. Well, it's not a scandal. He killed a journalist. He ordered the death of a journalist, and he actually still remained in power for four more years. This goes into the 2000s. So now, Kuchma's incumbent party is pitted against a popular pro-democracy leader, Viktor Yukachenko. And it's it's important to note that um, Kuchma's, um, his successor was Viktor Yanukovych. And Viktor comes back later on. Yes. So, like I said, Viktor Yukoshenko, Yushoshenko suddenly fell ill towards the end of his uh, campaign and almost died. And it was declared by doctors that this guy was poisoned. So Yanukovych won the election and was accused of rigging it, which, you know, obviously happens. And these are massive protests. These are the first of the colored revolutions. This was known as the Orange Revolution. After a third vote after the Orange Revolution, Yukoshenko actually won. So we forward past to 2008. They bring Ukraine into NATO, or at least they want to, right? They formally requested NATO to have have a member action plan. It was like a basically a step-by-step plan for them to become an alliance member. It wasn't, they weren't directly indicated on there. They were just on the path to it. It didn't happen. It didn't happen. It didn't yeah. happen. So when that happened, when they when they, you know, signified that hey, we wanted we want to be on an action plan to get into NATO, um, obviously George Bush having proxy interest in, you know, opposing Russia was like, Yeah, hey, I'm all for it. Come on over, guys. <laughs> My best. Water's uh, great. Uh, yeah, well, come on over, man. Um and then but the people who were still in Europe, like France and Germany, actually opposed it because Russia voiced displeasure. And it's important to note that, let's go back to the name of NATO, right? North Atlantic Treaty Organization. What the fuck is a country that is bordering Russia? Want? Like, <laughs> why would Russia... It's, it's in the North Atlantic. What are you talking yeah, about? Like, I didn't know the Atlantic Ocean was that big. So you might be wondering, like, why the fuck is Russia bitching about people being in NATO? Yeah. Okay. Same reason why the United States fucked Cuba. <laughs> And uh, basically, you know, sits on the throne on Latin America. So there's there's two answers, right? As Cher alluded to, there's like the pragmatic answer, right? No country, regardless of whether you like them or not, it's hard to like not understand why a country would not like military buildup from other countries that are not hospitable towards you, super close to you. If Russian troops were in the Canada US border Mm -hmm. the US would flip yeah what country wants its enemies or people who are like close to being enemies near them that's just like again we we need to understand other countries have their own interests even if you don't like the countries their interests are like make sense on their end right there's another reason why Russia would be really upset about that Mm -hmm. serious fucking backstabbing going on yeah when the Berlin Wall fell in 1990 yeah People don't know. There was West Germany and there was East Germany. Mm-hmm. And the Berlin Wall was dividing them. It was basically a holdover from World War II. USSR took East Germany and the other uh, NATO in America basically had control of West Germany, right? And there was time where the Berlin Wall fell. Okay, it's time to bring Germany back as one. Right. Russia had a stipulation that, okay, we're going to like relieve control of East Germany, hand it back and give it its own sovereignty and Which such. is a pretty big move. Which is a big move. Like, you know, commence to them. Yeah. But... NATO cannot enroach upon our borders and you cannot add our neighboring countries to NATO. That was a promise. And here's it's like a tricky thing where it was never explicitly stated or written in formal document that America would do it. But it is a case of quid pro quo. In fact, there's a quote from Secretary of State James Baker, Secretary of State back then in 1990, who explicitly said that, you, the U.S. will make ironclad guarantees that NATO would not expand one inch eastward. Mm-hmm. It was just a known fact. And anecdotally, I have heard from uh, political pundits and reporters who grew up around that time, who were like older around that time, where in the 1990s, it was just understood in America. They're like, oh, hey, we heard on the news that Berlin Wall fell, Germany is being reunified, and NATO's not going to expand. Like That was just common knowledge back then, and now we act like that never happened. So Russia has every reason to be upset with like a pretty clear betrayal yeah 
And let's look at some examples of the enlargement of NATO since 1990. In 1999, Poland, Hungary, and the Czech Republic joined NATO. Another expansion came with with the accession of seven Central and Eastern European countries. Bulgaria, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, Romania, Slovakia, Slovenia. It's just the new axis of power. Yeah. Okay, my these were like most of these are former Soviet republics, meaning they're all very close to Russia. Yeah. Like, hey, I got a promise from you. You're not gonna like move closer. Okay, this is my this is my front yard, that's yeah. your front yard. Don't let your dog shit this close. Yeah. Okay. And then what does NATO do? Starts planting yeah. more and more grass of their just kind. Even closer over on your neighbor's yard. Yeah. Again, not pro-Russian, just treating this as a plain Russia playing should be field. mad about that, though. Oh, like, no, that makes 100%. Sense. Like, like, dude, fucking, what, what would the United States do in that situation, right? Okay, back to the timeline real quick. You know how I just mentioned George Bush? Yeah. What is George Bush synonymous with? Oil. Oh. <laughs> okay. So in 2009, in January, uh, Gazprom, or Gazprom, however the Russians say it, is that's the state-owned Russian gas company, right? It suddenly stops pumping natural gas to Ukraine. Which, you know, obviously political fights happen, over negotiating prices and gas prices and whatnot. And because Eastern Europe and Central Europe countries rely on that pipeline that goes through Ukraine to receive gas, it's all imported from Russia. So the gas, you know, crisis quickly spreads beyond Ukraine's borders. It's it's a European problem now, too, that Russia is uh, kind of strong arming this right now. Yeah, I saw a funny ass tweet recently where somebody said, like, oh, Russia... Russia's GDP and economy is stupid. All they have to offer the world is oil and gas. Like, okay, hold on, hold on, yeah. hold on, hold on. You know how much oil is in the tundra? Do you know how fucking important oil and gas is to the world economy? That's so stupid. It's it's a weird thing where, like, Russia has an incredible... Like, the GDP is not crazy high. No. But in terms of what... like It it's, matters. Its role yeah. is super important. Alrighty, so like I said, we got up to about 2010. Yeah, we're going to rewind a little bit, shift their focus on NATO, and we kind of touched upon what NATO is, its uh, role in the Cold War, how its expansion has left Russia kind of upset. Um, how do I put this, frankly? Okay, so <laughs> let me use an anecdote real quick. Right, people have been sharing these colorful infographs. Yes, with charities and organizations to link to right and i as somebody who knows a bit more than the average person vetted most of these organizations no no not all of them right everyone you know the The major ones that you've been seeing the major ones i've been seeing not every single thing i've seen is like bad right right there is a serious problem with um guys who really like hitler in Ukraine. <laughs> what do we call those guys? <laughs> There's a word for them. <laughs> what do we call them? And so I want to get ahead of something, right? Because when Russia decided to launch the invasion into Ukraine last week, one of the things Putin said was that, oh, we're doing this to denazify Ukraine. Hmm. And right, clearly, like, that's people took that as like, oh, my God, Rus- it's Russia propaganda. There's Nazis there. Right. Okay, I'm going to say two things that are not mutually exclusive. Russia does not give a shit about killing Nazis, getting rid of Nazis, helping Ukraine. Absolutely no, no. not. He just literally wants to take Ukraine. He don't give a fuck. Yeah. It is also true that there are Nazis. There are, it is not just that there's Nazis existing there because like there's Nazis existing in a lot of places, right? They are literally in the Ukrainian military and have their own battalion. Yeah. We that is hold on, before before you continue. That is just an objective fact. Yes, and that's something people are just gonna have to come to terms with. And if you want to pause and look up the Azov Battalion, A Z O V Battalion, or the S fourteen or S I S I four, which was C I four, C I four, C I four, some S I four. Yeah, uh, there's there's a lot of them. There's yeah. so fucking many. Yeah, <laughs> um, which again, and to be clear, that's not to say every Ukrainian is a is a Nazi. No, we're thing. just saying that there are pockets in their military. It, in the military, is a problem specifically where that funding and power come from. Uh, our country. Yes. The U.S. I wonder why NATO is like so hard on for Ukraine because they have Nazis in them. The U.S. has a long history of uh, collaborating with Nazis after the fall of World War II. Yep. And let me, let, me, let me tell you why. If you have 
an agenda or aim to subvert certain political movements under the parts of the world. You know, you want to do it violently, probably, right? Probably. Someone who's ruthless and efficient. Mm -hmm. Well, who the fuck is more ruthless and efficient and also, like, ideologically and politically driven than a Nazi? Yeah. <laughs> and and the United States, for the most part, were they knew what the fuck they were doing. They knew Nazis were wrong, but they still gathered some of them, yeah. brought them back to the States, shipped them to Latin America to thwart any kind of socialist movement there was. So let's get started with like around mid 20th century, early 20th century. Nazi Germany had control of Ukraine for a pretty long period of time. There's a very long word for what that republic is called, like a rock, you know, some <laughs> Slavic ass shit, right? I'm not going to attempt it. There was a group called the OUN. It stood for Organization of Ukrainian Nationalists, which already sounds fucking nationalist. Nationalists, all right? Uh, they were working with Hitler. But here's yeah. a funny thing, right? Because there's like there's like a fucking schism in the Nazi ideology, right? Hitler didn't like them because he thought they were too Slavic. He's like, <laughs> "You're not like white enough for me. You're not pure enough for me, right?" And they're like, "Come on, bro. I'll kill the Jews. I'll kill the Gypsies. Well, I won't. I won't give. I'll only give you half the swastika. I'll to wear. give you half the swastika. No, you can't do much. So Germany collaborated with them. Obviously, there was a story that. There is a secret Soviet army that went into Ukraine and killed like 2,000 Ukrainian nationalists. Some of them, it might have been some of them were Nazis, but also lives of civilians were killed. The OUN saw this and decided, well, who tipped off the Soviets and helped them get in here and kill our people? The Jews. Hmm. So they killed, I think the number is like about 7,000 Jews. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's like I when I'm telling you these are like literal Nazis who are in Ukraine. They're like literal fucking Nazis. Are they still active? Oh, we're going to get there, buddy. <laughs> so uh, like I touched on earlier, the U.S. has a pension in history for bringing in Nazis into the fold. Yeah. One example is this guy, Mikola Lebed a Gestapo-trained leader of a OUN militia. Again, OUN is Organization of Ukrainian Nationalists, who oversaw the torture and slaughter of Jews and helped bolster West Germany's intelligence services in 1947. You know what's crazy? He was sentenced to death in Poland in 1934. Because keep in mind, all this stuff is happening in the 1930s, 1920s. It's crazy that he died in Pittsburgh in 1998, this is the same fucking guy, and once people dug into it a bit more and use, like, uh, people don't know, journalists can use something called, like, the Freedom of Information Act. <laughs> right. You can FOIA, like, the government, like, get information, declass not declassified information, but certain information out of them. Two years after his work in, for West Germany, the CIA smuggled him into the U.S. under a false name. To the CIA, which bankrolled his activities for close to half a century, he was simply known as Uncle Louie. Lebed's importance comes from the fact that he was one of the leaders of the group mentioned earlier, the Organization of Ukrainian Nationalists. And so there's a bunch of, like, political power play stuff in the OUN. Like, they had two factions that, that veered off because, like, one group wanted to follow one leader, one group wanted to follow another leader. Mikola ended up becoming the leader of one of these halves. And um, basically, one of those groups of the OUN ended up being brought into the Reagan administration as something called the Ukrainian Congress Committee of America, UCCA. This is like an American nonprofit organization that was established. And by the way, I need to be super fucking clear. Anytime there's a group, a non-governmental organization called, and it's like a template, insert ethnicity name, Congress of something. There was really something called the Iraqi National Congress before the Iraq War. Yeah. It's, they always get like dissidents who were like really bad from their own country, yeah. bring them to America to have them say like, oh my God, the person running my country is evil. I.e. Bay of Pigs, maybe? Yeah. You know uh, what yeah. I mean? Yeah. They got, they got Cubans who were like, yo, my Castro killed my grandfather who was a slave <laughs> owner. Like, And he was like, all right, America was like, all right, buddy, come over here and let's go back there. Yeah. Okay. I want to insert this real quick. I want everyone to oh, take a second. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just, you know, we're, we were not bullshitting when we said, yeah, the United States took Nazis and did what they needed to do. Operation Paperclip, right? And I'll read this straight from the source. Operation Paperclip was a secret United States intelligence program in which more than 1,600 German scientists, engineers, and technicians were taken from former Nazi Germany to the U.S., for government employment after the world after World War II ended. 
And these are like ranking members of the Nazi party. Over 1,600 of them were taken. And then later on, it says um, the primary purpose of, you know, the Operation Paperclip was for the U.S. military to gain advantage in the Soviet-American Cold War and the space race. The hell with morality. The hell with killing 6 million civilians. We want to beat Russia. So, hey, Nazis, why don't you come over here and help us with our stuff? Yeah. It's fucking incredible that people just like. Don't and this is all like it. out there, by the way. This yeah. is all like public information. I, this is fucking all yeah, Wikipedia. This, this is literally man. reading this on Wikipedia yeah, right I, now. Because I remembered it and I was like, yo, I have to get like the numbers on this. And it's 1,600 yeah. Nazis yeah. working in the U.S. government. Um, so, by the way, next time you apply for a job and it's like a public <laughs> position job and they, and they don't hire you, just be like, well, listen, you guys hired Nazis. Not, yeah, come on. What's I'm wrong better with, than what's that. What's wrong with me? <laughs> right. I have a better more Please don't do than that. fucking Nazi. <laughs> please, please don't do that. I don't want to get you in trouble. Okay, so I just want to add a little bit to that bit I talked about with Reagan bringing in the UCCA. I'm going to read this here real quick. The Reagan administration was clustered with UCCA members, and Reagan even welcomed Yaroslav Stetsko, a Banderite leader. Banderite was one of the factions of the OUN that splintered off, who oversaw the massacre of 7,000 Jews in Lviv, Mm -hmm. into the White House in 1983, and told him, your struggle is our struggle. Your dream is our dream. Sounds a lot like <laughs> we share the same dem- democratic policies as Israel. And I feel like this is kind of known, but uh, it's it's sort of public knowledge that Hitler was kind of inspired by U.S. racism for how he practiced what he did. Mm-hmm. He, he There was like a, a framework that Nazis saw in America. He was like, we want to be like how white people are in America. Exactly. <laughs> and then there was like a, it's like a cyclical thing where then the Germans who were inspired by America were then hired by Americans because like, oh, we like what you did here. You innovated. This is great. <laughs> you took it a step done. further. You took it a step further. Wow. All that background and context there. I want to talk about 2014. Yes. Like I said before, if there's only one event you're going to know in regards to what's happening right now, it needs to be the Maidan revolution. Yep. So as Cher talked about in 2010, Viktor Yanukovych. is Yanukovych, right? Yep. Oh, damn, I got that right on the first try. Yanukovych was president at this time, and he was originally going to sign a Ukrainian-European associate association agreement which is kind of going to bring ukraine into the eu fold not Mm -hmm. formally i don't think it was formally going to be part of the european union but bring them into the open market privatize more bring them more in line with western values quote unquote right uh he eventually reneged on that he turned his back on that citing voices and, and and discontent from russia but also i would imagine and this is a tricky thing, right? Ukraine and Russia, and no group is a mon- no country is a monolith. Um, there's a lot of Russian-speaking people, Russo people in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Like, because keep on, Russia, that area has a long, long thousands of years of history, right? What is considered the Russian Empire really actually started in what is now considered modern-day Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Now, there are differences. Like, obviously, there's differences. Ukraine and Russian as a language are different languages, for right. example, right? I do not want to minimize that, but I need people to understand that there are people in Ukraine who are genuinely, like, pro-Russia and, like, want to be part of Russia. Yeah, I mean, every presidency they had, or elections that we just went through from the 1990s up until, up until this point, were always either, hey, we're pro-West and we want to move towards, you know, more alliances with NATO and Eastern Europe— and half of them were like, no, we're still pro-Russian. Like, we're still part of that yeah. realm. Yeah, because they're trying to appease, like, two different crowds. Like, people who are, like, a bit more, like, want liberal Western democracy and also people who are like, hey, we have our roots in Russia and we want that. So oftentimes, like, the presidents and politicians have to find this balance between, like, I don't want to isolate one group too much or whatever, right? So Yanukovych did not sign the agreement. And then a... Pro-democracy. That's the way it gets thrown around, right? Yeah. Uprising and protests happen. This is called the Maidan Revolution, Mm. the Maidan Revolution. I want to talk about a specific battalion, a specific militia that was employed during this time. That is the Azov Battalion. 
And they were formed to do battle with pro-Russian separatists in the country's east. Because the Ukraine is to the west of Russia, right? Yep. So the eastern part of Ukraine is like where all the, the Russian-speaking people are, the Russo people are. Makes more sense because it's right on the border. It's right on the border. And so a battalion was formed to like stop them because they were trying to separate. They were like, okay, you know what? Uh, we want to go to Russia. We want to be part of Russia. And, and we'll get to what happens with that. Let's talk about the Azov Battalion. Let me give you a sample of how bad <laughs> the these motherfuckers are. And by the way, they are now like an official arm and unit in the Ukrainian military. Mm-hmm. So if you see any fucking donation link that says, "Oh, support the Ukrainian military," just do your research and ju- do it. Let me tell you, let me tell you. Mm-mm. An Azov commander, Andrei Beletsky, earned his stripes as a leader of the fascist group Patriot of Ukraine. Like I said, there's a shit ton of fucking fascist groups in Ukraine. Yeah. And let's let's get a quote from our friend Andrei, who again is part of this Azov battalion. The historic mission of our nation in this critical moment is to lead the white races of the world in a final crusade for their survival. A crusade against the semi-land Untermenschen. Untermenschen is a word for subhumans. <laughs> that is the most Nazi. Like, oh, and man, they just create a, new words. He was to... a commander of that. That's a, that's a tight word. I gotta say Untermenschen. 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 Look. The language is kind of cool. Oh, no, it right, sounds it's dope. A, it's a, it's, they it's, sound badass, Yeah, they sound tight as shit, but then they saying some fucked up shit. I'm glad I can't understand it. <laughs> <laughs> Oftentimes, you'll see that they wear flags that are like red and black, right? Yeah. And it's like, and, and it's it's funny because these flags are currently being thrown around at pro-Ukraine protests. Yeah. And people are like, wow, this is so cool, pro-Ukraine. It's like, what are that red and black flags? That red and black flag is from the UPA. Mm-hmm. The UPA was, again, another militant group that was formed in the 1950s, and it was an offset of the OUN I was talking about earlier. Yes. So literally right now at the protests, there are flags of fascist groups being flown around. Yeah. So I, I, I need you all to really think about what's ha- what's happening here. Yeah. Once again, I'm going to take this back to the beginning of the episode. This is no indication that what Russia is doing is right. Just because they're going and they're killing, killing innocent people, yeah, absolutely that's, not right. That's the thing. Like, I'll touch on that towards the end of the episode. But just because we're saying like fascists killing fascists is doesn't like cancel itself out. Like, there are still innocent people getting hurt over here. Yeah, let's bring our boy Barry Obama into this. Ah, uh, good old. <laughs> Good old Mary. In the 2016 defense budget, America's defense budget, the Obama administration funded the Azov Battalion, giving $300 million in military aid for the government in Kiev. Um, I'll tell you what, my fellow Americans. It does not matter what I am doing, as long as I am going to pursue any action against Russia. Yeah. And the FBI has literally gone out and said, we believe that the Azov Battalion's Nazis have trained American white supremacists. So, like, if the FBI is saying that, it's like, damn, bro, that's 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 how serious it fucking is. Um, I don't want to uh, hide this. This is also public knowledge, but I'm going to continue with my Obama yeah. voice real quick. But we also did train our homeboys in Afghanistan, <laughs> the Taliban. We, we trained a lot of people who end up doing very bad things. John Conyers and Ted Yoho, uh, so John Conyers is a Democrat from Michigan, and Ted Yoho was a Republican from Florida, put forth an amendment that would have ruled out training or arming the notorious Azov Battalion, an openly neo-Nazi and fascist unit that uses symbols of the Nazi SS. So in 2016, members of the U.S. Congress knew that there's like a literal fucking Nazi group in the Ukrainian military. And they said, whoa, 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 before we pass our defense budget, cut this part out that could give funding to them. Right. Uh, it didn't work. The Obama administration passed this shit anyways. I think they got like one stipulation in like, oh, we can't send them drones or something, but we can send them like anything <laughs> oh, else. They use very God. loose language, like any Ukrainian military group right. can get funding. Even if, even if they were to cut out all that language and just make it bare, like, hey, just the Ukrainian government, like just send it to the Ukrainian government or even one person, they can just use it at yep. that point. Like once it's in their bank accounts, once it's in their funding, they can give it out to any faction that they have under their belt. So the 2014 Maidan Revolution... Ended with Viktor Yanukovych being ousted in a coup. Yeah. Right? Viktor Yanukovych was democratically elected. Again, corrupt, but he was democratically elected and he was overthrown in a coup that was supposed to be pro democracy. Mm-hmm. Like, this is the play that America does all the time. Guy gets elected democratically. He go- does something that's kind of anti Western. Like, oh, by the way, that's not democratic anymore. He was replaced pretty shortly after by Petro Poroshenko. 
So Petro Poroshenko, after Viktor Yanukovych is ousted in a coup, mm-hmm. a U.S.-backed coup, right. where, with featuring Nazis. And by the way, Viktor Yanukovych was incredibly corrupt. Let me be clear. Like, like we're like we're tr- we're really trying to hammer this point in that just because like <clears throat> we're pointing out how clearly like this so much of this is involves the U.S. and Nazis. Like these are still incredibly corrupt politicians. Yeah. So after Yanukovych is ousted, this guy Petro Poroshenko comes in, and this man is the most pro-American ass motherfucker. I wonder who's propping him up. <laughs> <laughs> um, he starts making more moves to be conciliatory towards. America, but guess what? He gets pushed back from his own people because, like we said before, there is actually a legitimately fairly large constituency of Ukrainians who are pro-Russia. And eventually, Poroshenko like had to kind of go back and be like, "Wait, wait, 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 wait! Actually, I do like Russians." Mm-hmm. Fun fact: He is known as the Willy Wonka of Ukraine <laughs> because he is like an oligarch. He's like a, a billionaire, okay. billionaire, right? And he made his money off of selling like chocolates. He has like a chocolate factory type deal. Oh, you know, that's a that's pretty And then he cool. came all the way up to what a, what a come up story. What a what a fucking come up story. And so uh, Poroshenko was president from I think what 2014 to 2019, I think. Let me give no. mm. yeah 2014 to 2019, mm. and um, he loses to this guy, current president Vladimir Vladimir Zelensky, a former comedian, yeah, and actor. An actor. Uh, so that guy, Vladimir Zelensky, is currently the president. And this is something I want to highlight about the way that election went. That should really undermine some of the shit that you guys are seeing about, like, oh, 2014 was a democratic uprising and it got stamped and pe- and the pe- all the people of Ukraine hate Russia or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Poroshenko ran a much more pro-Western campaign. Zelensky, who was actually a Russian-speaking Jew... yeah. Ran a pretty pro Russia campaign in, in terms of like we need to uh, fix our fix our relationship with our yeah. people at the border. He was basically basically I think what he was going for was we don't want we de escalation. We don't want to fuck with yeah. Russia. We're just gonna we continue have, to go on we our have path. Russians in here, uh, all that stuff. Yeah. right. And he wins in a landslide. So if the guy who's way more pro Russian wins in a landslide in this 2019 election. I think that people need to reassess this, these claims that the people in Ukraine... And again, I'm not trying to say people in Ukraine are, are super, super pro-Russia. Yeah. But more so that, like, this idea that they all wanted to be part of the West is probably more complicated. It's probably more complicated to say... It, it's probably not right to say that they want to be pro-Russia. Yeah. Right? It's way more complicated, but there is a constituency. Also, should be said, Poroshenko just, like, all these fucking presidents are super corrupt because Ukraine's hyper hyper-capitalist. Yeah. The GDP of Ukraine has never hit the high it did in when it was a Soviet Union. Yeah. It, Ukraine always did better economically while it was a part of the Soviet Union than it ever has since the Soviet Union fell yeah. and Ukraine became an independent state. That's not... I mean, a lot of that has to do with like America forcing privatization and all that. Yeah. So I want to hit this point real quick just to kind of extrapolate on this notion of Ukrainian Russians, like Ukrainians who are more pro-Russian. Um, there's this the region that's often contested, and that was at the center of this recent invasion, uh, is the Donbas region. That's the eastern region. After the 2014 Maidan Revolution, two independent breakaway states were formed. These are little states that want to be Russia, and they want to break away from Ukraine. They have not been formally annexed like Crimea has. Yeah. And we're not touching Crimea, right? We're not touching Crimea. Crimea that, was, is, that was a separate thing. Russia took it, moved past yeah, it. Yeah, it was, take too it was important, but we had to make it for that episode. So the two republics are the DPR and the LPR, the Donetsk People's Republic and the Luhansk People's Republic. These are two like groups of, U- of Ukrainian-Russian people who want to be part of... Russia and Putin when he launched his invasion said I am now recognizing you guys as part of Russia which when you say that you're kind of indicating like we're going to go in and like seize you from Ukraine so I just want to add like there is again there is legitimate natural organic desire alliance allegiance from certain members of the Ukrainian population to go to Russia. Obviously, the tricky thing is that like, the entire Donbass region is not these two regions. Yeah. So when Putin said, like, oh, we're going into Donbass, it's like, wait, that's not just those two air- areas, yeah. though. Like, if you want those two areas, take them, I yep. guess, but, like, you're going to all of Donbass.
So this brings us to our third and final and much more open-ended segment about what can we as Americans do? Yeah. Um, what can people who are outside of Ukraine and Russia do? As, you know, the, the first thing I want to really drill in is like, do your fucking homework with this new knowledge that you have. Yeah. Here's a shorthand. <laughs> if you go to a charity or organization, go to their like their about page or whatever, and look up when it was founded. Yeah. If it was founded after 2014, it calls the Maidan Revolution like a democratic uprising or something. It's um, not a group you should be donating to. Yeah. It absolutely should not be. I would just say cross-reference any kind of organization when they start when they started with whatever events happened yes. in that region at that time, and then yeah. do your research on the event. Yeah, there is a lot of United States money going into this. Yeah, it, this is not wholly organic. It's it's which is not to say there are not like actual genuine people who like want to move more west. That's certainly true, but you know, in my from my perspective. We as Americans cannot influence Putin in any way. No. We're not Russian. <laughs> what the fuck am I going to tell him? Did, what you am see, I gonna make him did you see that celebrity? I don't even know who the fuck she is. Yes. But she was like doing yeah. slam poetry. Like, yeah. if I was your mother, Putin, this would not happen. It's like, what? Okay, yeah. So I, I want to get what? to that real quick. This, this whole thing of like psychoanalyzing politicians to figure out what they're doing is so stupid. It is much more helpful to get a material understanding of history and what steps got you there. I don't know. So what do, you, what do you think? Like, what would you tell somebody who's like American, who's Western? Like, oh, what should I do? What would you tell them? I think at its basis, what we touched on about you have to realize that the the media that is being fed to you always has a spin on it, always has a narrative to it. So they always want you to think of a certain certain country, certain group in the certain way that they want. So you cannot take shit at face value. Do your research. Go out and read. Like Saad said, you come across a charity organization. I get it. Everyone has that human instinct in them. It's like, yo, we're seeing apartment buildings being bombed. We're seeing all this other stuff, you know, innocent civilians being put in harm's way. So you want to help out. You can help out. But the best way to help out is increasing your knowledge on these kinds of things because you can make better decisions. Yes, because then you make better decisions than that. And this is this is my main thing with this, right? You are physically and emotionally affected by what's happening in Ukraine. You learn that, damn, maybe one country who is being an aggressor to the other country and like in the and civilians get killed in the way and occupation is wrong. Maybe when you read a little bit more, do a little bit more research, maybe you'll sympathize with the Palestinian people. <laughs> maybe you'll sympathize with the Yemeni people. Yeah. Maybe you'll sympathize with fucking Syria. No, I'm so dead serious. I get I literally like. I'm literally almost shed a fucking tear right now because, like, I'm genuinely so upset at the fact how it is always Europe and European countries. Not saying that what's happening to them is not right. Like, it's not. It's it's a right thing to happen. No, it's fucking absolutely disgraceful what's happening. The question should not be why do we care about Ukraine. The question should be why don't we care about Palestine? We have to be. If we're going to be against this. We have to be against it everywhere. We ha- like I am begging and pleading. Like this is not going to get anywhere, and this is the sad truth of the world that the world's just not going to care about black, brown, and Muslim people because that's just how it is. And I don't, I don't ever see it changing. But from the little pocket that we have, if we can influence somebody out there, it's genuinely to hold everything to the same standard. Yeah. If Russia, if Russian aggression and bombing into civilian territories and occupying parts of Ukraine is wrong, then what Israel is doing is also wrong. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, we can't pick and choose. And oh, that, that's what I just, like, what? Fun slash horrifying thing. Um, the Nazis, some of the Nazis have been pictured, the, the Ukrainian Nazis have been pictured using uh, Tar-4 rifles. I think that's the company. Mm-hmm. Uh, guess where that company is based in? Israel? Israel. Okay. And so I just, I just want you all to no, know. Some of the, some of, <laughs> literally... AP News had to come out and say, hey, by the way, the pictures that have been circulating of the bombings are not from Ukraine. That people are sharing, like, oh, my God, look what's happening in Ukraine, are actually from fucking Palestine and Syria. The bombings, some of them pictures that you're seeing that you're so affected by, rightfully so, are not even from the fucking place. It's it's been happening for 70 years in Palestine. I, I cannot stress enough how 
bad social media is for misinformation. Yeah. And it's not just about like, oh, right wingers saying things about vaccines. And that's also true too, right? But just this this knee jerk reaction to believe everything that tugs at your heartstring if it's accompanied by a colorful infographic and a call to action, like, here's what you need to know. I can't believe people aren't talking about this. That has caused so much fucking misinformation because yeah. there's nothing, like, causing people, making people vet the information. No. This is, it's not like Instagram has, like, an objective fact checker that says, oh, you can't post this until it's true. You can say whatever the fuck you want. The fact that people post, like, major leaders like Macron and... Obama, like they all release statements, they all release this, and they like, you know, willfully just be like, yo, yes, you know, I'm standing behind anti-war. It's like Macron literally this week. By the way, Emmanuel Macron, Macron, whatever, Macron, Macron, fuck that guy, whatever. He's the French prime minister, leader of France. He comes out and says, this act that Russia just committed in aggression to Ukraine is the worst act on European soil since 1945. Must I fucking remind you? That the Bosnian genocide was mm-hmm. not more than 30 years ago, yeah. 92, 93, where literally tens of thousands of Bos- Bosnian Muslims were murdered. Literally is a fucking genocide, not even 30 years ago when people are like, this is the worst. This is bad. What's happening? But once again, Muslims are being killed. So, you know, it doesn't matter. Also, kind of, if we're looking specifically at uh, France, it's funny that Mali, the country Mali in, in Africa, kicked out the French army because Mali is like a former French yeah. colony. They recently just had to kick them out because, like, you, we, we, like, are fucking tired of you guys being out yeah. in here. France is still con- monetary controlling of a few African a lot countries. Of African countries. Um, I'm blanking on the name. I can look them up, but I don't want to at this point because we are coming towards the end of it. But. Look it up. France is literally controlling monetary policy. Like, we'll not let this country's monetary value rise above a certain point because yeah. they want to control it. It's it's people in certain African countries labor and toil away for those goods to be sent to France. Yeah. And, like, Obama released a statement as well. And I know Obama's, like, the people's champ in America. Fuck like Obama. Super, oh, my uh, God. You know, my fellow Americans. All that bullshit. Okay, look what he fucking did in Libya. Libya. Like, like, holy shit. He's still the president, and we've gone through... And he through, got a Nobel is, Peace Prize. This is the second president now we're in, after Obama. Yeah. Um, Still the president that has dropped the most drone strikes mm-hmm. in Pakistan, Syria, Afghanistan, Iraq. Oh, so I, I forgot to bring <sighs> up this part about the Nordic, uh, Nordic 2 stream pipeline. Oh, so. yes. This is important. Okay, so one of the first things that America did in terms of sanctions, and by the way... Sanctions are bad because they almost always strangle and starve the poorest people of a country. Yeah. Like, okay, they throw the sanctions at and it's directed towards, like, the rich person, right? This is a sanction against Vladimir Putin. Well, it's the poor people who always bear the brunt of it, right? Yeah. And it's always sta- – the entire purpose of sanctions is to make the poor people so upset and angry because they're, like, starving and dying at their leaders. You think the oligarchs are going to care? Yeah. You know how long it's going to take for sanctions? This this is this is trickle-down theory, but reversed. It's going to take a lot of struggling and strangling the poor people for for the working class to dwindle down to for the profits, you know, for the profits to decline for the oligarchs who are going to be like, okay, wait a second. By that time, hundreds and thousands of poor folk are going to go hungry, going to die, going to get fucking just, you know, gunned down or crime is going to start increasing more. It's just sad all around, man. But go ahead. This um, is important. So the Nord Stream, the Nord Stream 2 pipeline is a pipeline that it's pretty much done being built, I think, from Russia to Western Europe. It's basically going to expand the amount of like oil Russia can send to most of Europe, right? Yeah. And, and they already supply, like we said, Russia supplies a lot of parts of the world oil because there's a shit ton of oil yeah russia and saudi arabia are like the two countries given how much oil that they have that can basically like completely dictate prices of oil bearers if they really want to if they really wanted to the first thing that the u.s did like in the past week in terms of sanctions was sanctions against the Nord stream 2 pipeline i think believe the what they did was they sanctioned the certification process like nothing can flow through it right Mm -hmm. now right i think crucial to that is also that we've recently been upping the amount of pipelineage we've got with like the Keystone XL pipeline right. that was going through North Dakota and there's all a bunch of protests about that, right? Mm-hmm. I don't think the U.S. wants to go to war with Russia. No. I, I, they don't want that, right? No. Biden doesn't want that. America does not want that, right? But what they want to do is create enough aggression via NATO, via insurgents in Ukraine 
on Russia's border, and Russia is like any other sane state actor going to like push back, and also like coupled with like Putin's bad tendencies and like the bad things about Putin, where he legitimately wants to like kind of bring back something resembling a Russian empire. Oh, he he said that himself. Yeah, he was like, he, I want to bring a Russian empire, and back. he wants to like, and for that, like Ukraine's important because Ukraine's history is so tied with Russia. Like, obviously, like. Putin is not absolved of any of the crimes. No, right? he's a like, fucking bad guy. It's so clear that the U.S. Like, created the conditions for this to happen, yeah. and Russia, in multiple points, like did offer an opportunity out to be like, we can talk diplomacy. Mm-hmm. Wait, I want to get out of this because I don't want to do it this way. And then the U.S. didn't want to do it. I think clearly the main goal was that, like, if you create a condition where Russia invades, you can justify sanctions that way. Yeah, and then you can sanction a pipeline. But, oh, by the way, you're we a, have we have a, we have a pipeline. pipeline. We yeah. can sell you oil. Yeah. Well, that's crazy. It's crazy that America would do that. Yeah. America's never made a decision based. Let's on just oil. throw Ukraine under the bus just so we can, you know, yeah. make a buck. And that's a, that's a key. That's a key thing here. Ukraine is being used as a fucking like political proxy yeah. for American interests it, it, because we're so fucking like anti-Russian. There's a lot of reasons to not like Russia, but you should not be like anti-Russian in like a pro-America way. Yeah. Uh, so some books that uh, I would recommend people read about these things. And I have not read these books, by the way. I, these are on my to-do list. Okay. Blowback by Christopher Simpson. And that's where a lot of the information about like Nazi Germany and U.S. collaboration comes from. Old Nazis, The New Right, and the Republican Party by Russ Bellant. And Hitler's American Model by James Whitman. I think that's it. Yeah, finishing thoughts is what – look, this war is bad all around for everyone – Especially the people, right? Absolutely. And the purpose of this episode was just to give you guys a little bit more insight to the timeline um, and how we got to the point we got to and some of the key factors of why we got here. Yeah. And then from here, it is your duty to take it a step further to wherever you want to take it. Do some more research. Donate to the right, you know, to the right uh, organization. I would say at the very least, like take a, an aggressive anti-war stance on the U.S. and NATO's behalf. Yes. That all this is going to do is escalate it more. Just we should be facilitating diplomat diplomacy and peace talks and end this as quickly as possible. Yeah. That's and that's it. I I think that's that is the the wrap up of this is just to start standing and being anti-war across the fucking board. Not in Russia, not in Ukraine, not in Palestine, not in Syria, just all across the board and anti-war. So that's all we got to say. I'm going to try to get this episode out much faster than usual because uh, I know y'all not going to give a shit in a couple days. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Timeline moves, huh? Listen, we're doing this a little bit for the cloud. I'm not going to lie. Listen, we got to jump on it, we, right? We, we but it's for a good reason. Get people a little bit more educated as much as we can. So to help us out, like the show. Comment on it. Rate the show. Share it. Share it. And uh, talk to us. Yes. Continue. Please do. Yes. You guys did not reply and ask questions. What you? Yeah, guys I was were. upset about that. You motherfucker. I made a nice post, man. Fuck you guys. <laughs> <laughs>